Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. A few days ago, I was giving a mini tour of our city to some friends who recently moved to town. I drove them around, pointing out venues, parks, and cool places to eat. When I told them that Nashville is home to the largest Kurdish community in the country, they were in awe. My friends told me they had no idea. And I was like, you know, most Nashvillians don't know this. So today, we're going to talk about how exactly this came to be and learn more about this community known as Little Kurdistan with members of the community. That's coming up later in this hour. But first, it's time for Add Us. Yes, each week we take time to read the comments so you don't have to. That's right. I'm encouraging you to literally add us on Twitter at This Is Nashville and on Instagram at This Is Nashville underscore WPLN. Joining me now with a look back at our past week is our digital lead, Anna Gallegos Cannon. Hey, Anna. Hey, Khalil. It's good to be back. It feels like forever since I've been in the studio. It's so good to be back with the original At Us crew. Okay, (laughs) so last week while you were out, we heard from a listener claiming she had found the Purple Martins, which, of course, we've been on the hunt for since our bird episode a few months ago. Yeah, so for anyone who doesn't remember, just a quick backstory. Uh, Purple Martins famously roosted in the trees outside the downtown symphony until the trees were torn down. Right, so our listeners sent this video of birds funneling into a chimney near Centennial Park. So we thought we had found the Purple Martins. But after last week's at us, we got another email from Bob in Cookville. He said, based on our description, it sounded like the birds were chimney swifts, not Purple Martins. So I am no bird expert at all. Mm -hmm. So I emailed the videos to someone who would know way better than me. And that was former guest and TikTok birding expert Keith Peluso. Ranger Keith. Um, So he said that, quote, it's hard to tell from the video, but those definitely sound like chimney swifts to me. Okay. So in fact, the case of the missing Purple Martins is still open. And I know you all are out there, our dedicated bird detectives. So if you think you've spotted Purple Martins, you can drop us a line at thisisnashville.org. So Anna, what else are our listeners talking about this week? So our listeners really enjoyed our conversation with uh, the Tennessee Tribune publisher, Rosetta Miller-Perry, earlier mm-hmm. this week. Uh, Larry tweeted at This Is Nashville to say, quote, Miss Miller-Perry said a lot of things we think, but sometimes don't say. She kept it real. It made me kind of sad, but what she said was genuine. And um, Alejandro also reached out on Twitter to tell us, I was listening to this live. Not going to lie, this made my eyes quite moist. To hear a champion of change tell it like it is. It was absolutely a 100% an authentic interview. And I got to talk with Miss Rosetta Miller-Perry a few weeks before privately And that was just a wonderful experience. So I hope we can have more shows and guests like that as we Mm -hmm. go on. You know, so what else did we get from listeners? Well, during last week's Citizen Nashville episode about birth control, we got a message on Twitter from a listener named Margaret. Here's what she wrote. Love the show, but shouldn't there be a guy on this program on birth control? It's a human issue and responsibility, not just a female responsibility. You know, that is a very interesting point. Yeah. Uh, for that episode, uh, we focused on centering people who use birth 
birth control. And by and large, in this country, that's been made a, more of a woman's responsibility than a man's. But, you know, so we wanted to center the people who use and need birth control. But, you know, I totally agree with Margaret. I'd love to do a future episode where we bring men to the table to talk about that responsibility and how they're navigating that. All right. We've got one last thing, right, Anna? Of course. I love hearing from our listeners. And we're planning for our next Citizen Nashville episode about monkeypox, Mm -hmm. which is coming next week. So we'd love to hear from all y'all about what questions do you have about monkeypox. They can be about the disease itself, how it's impacting Nashville, or, you know, if you have questions about the vaccine. Listeners, you can submit your questions on the form at thisisnashville.org. Just to be clear, the episode about monkeypox is coming next week. Monkeypox itself isn't coming here. Yeah, yeah, we're we're not bringing monkeypox. We're just bringing the conversation about monkeypox. Okay, okay. I just wanted to be, you know, it's a small studio. Thanks to our digital lead, Anna Gallegos-Cannon, for this roundup. Anna, we'll see you next week. I'll see you on the other side of the studio. And our listeners know where to find me online. Don't forget to add us on Twitter and Instagram. And let's keep the comments coming. Also, fill out our community survey to let us know what topics you want us to cover at thisisnashville.org. It's super easy and quick, and it helps us produce shows with your needs and interests in mind. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll turn to Little Kurdistan and learn how Nashville became the home to the largest Kurdish population in America. Are you a part of the local Kurdish community? What do you want folks to know about your community? What does Nashville mean to you? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil Ekolona, and this is Nashville. Our city is home to the largest Kurdish community in America. But how did that come to be? That's a question a listener asked recently of WPLN's podcast, Curious Nashville. So to find the answer, WPLN producer Alexis Marshall spoke with Kurds from several waves of immigration. Among them was Halmat Kazi, whose family moved to Nashville in 1979 in the first wave. Lexi met him at his family's house in Bellevue. As soon as I walk through the front door, a massive collage catches my eye. It's leaning against the mantle and contains hundreds of photos of Nashville's Kurdish community over the years. I mean, there's just so many different moments. You know, there's weddings, there's graduations, high school is my high school graduation at Hillsborough. You know, that part, that's the apartment complex there. My dad's uh, in the background, Richland Hills Apartments. He says it's kind of impossible to pick a favorite, but he points out one photo that makes him break out in a smile. <laughs> I do love this photo with me and Santa. <laughs> I do. I mean, because <laughs> that was one cool thing about my, my, my pops with my parents all together. It was just like, you know, just embracing the Western culture or, you know, the American culture. But like, I don't know that that to me, to, honestly, like it just it, it displays like, you know, being Kurdish American. So Halmat's family was part of the first wave, meaning the Kurdish community here was really just starting to grow. We were the only Kazi family, you know, but growing up with all these other families, that's that's why I was like, oh, that's my cousin. That's my cousin. You know, it's like you really I really feel like, you know, you're my cousin because I didn't grow up with anyone else. But we kind of 
created our own Kurdish American culture. The collage captures a lot of that sense of community, and it holds some important memories for the family. Some stretch back even before Halmat was born, like one of his dad in Iranian Kurdistan. This one, this is my father, who was a part of the Revo Kurdish revolution in the, we call it Roshalat, Roshalat camps, at the time of when the Shah was in power and before the brink of like the Iran-Iraq war. But that was during the second revolution between um, the Kurds and the Iraqi regime. And so they sought, you know, they got refuge in Kurdistan of Iran. And at that time afterwards, uh, the Shah of Iran and Saddam had some agreements and that's when they knew that it wasn't going to be good. And so some Kurds ended up having to um, go back to Basra, which is the Kurdistan of Iraq region. And some people, you know, got asylum. And luckily, my parents were one of those 700 people that were able to come. You can see photos from that collage in today's episode post at thisisnashville.org. So, Halmat Kazi's family came to Nashville in the first wave of Kurdish refugees in the 70s. But over the years, Kurds became continued to move here. My next guests were part of that second and third waves. Dilman Yassin and Dara Aziz, thank you for joining us today. Welcome to This Is Nashville. Thank you for having us. Really? Yeah, thank you. Excited to be here. So excited to have you. So, you know, it'd be wonderful to hear about your early lives. Dilman, you know, how did you come to the United States? We actually came um, in 92. We lived in the refugee camps in Diyarbakir for about four years. And then our entire extended family was given the opportunity to come to the States. We landed in, um, we first came through New York, through Ellis Island, which among so many other immigrants have throughout um, throughout America. And we landed in Boise, Idaho, where, um, we lived for about three or four years. And, um, we realized that there was a large population of Kurds in Nashville, many of whom we, um, actually were neighbors with while we lived in the camps. And so that sense of community really drew us here. Um, we packed our bags and took a bus here and have never looked back. We've been here since. When you were in Idaho, how did you all find out about the Kurdish community here? Did the people you knew, did they write to you, call you, tell you, hey, you need to be in Nashville right now? Yeah, I think um, the majority of people kept in contact somehow or through our sponsors. Um, we we found out that a lot of the people that lived in the camps were located in Nashville. Um, and then by phone calls and letters and things like that, also talking to folks back home, during that time, they were able to tell us that some, you know, moved to Nashville, some moved to other parts of the U.S. And so that kind of helped us narrow down what we wanted to do. Um, but yeah, again, that sense of community really drew us here. Was your family very excited when they heard that news? We were, yeah, we were really excited, even though we were all together. I mean, it was a very large caravan of my family that moved to Nashville. Um, still that sense of a larger community where, you know, we were understood, where our culture could still continue um, and be preserved was really important for my parents and grandparents, um, especially having so many young children within our family. Um, that that was very important for them to, to pursue. Now, Dara, I understand that your early life was fraught with a lot of upheaval and moving. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, uh, I mean, I was born about 1974, 
1975, after that Algerian treaty that was signed between uh, Iran and Iraq, we had to flee Iraq. Um, my mom carried me on her back. And my siblings always talk about how she was complaining about me being a little heavy on her back. But anyway, yes, she, she walked through the border, went to Iran, and then we were distributed in Iran by Iranian government. So I lived in Iran, like in the middle of Iran, for 16 years until 1991 when we came back to Iraq uh, after the first Gulf War. So pretty much my entire life has been, uh, I've been living as a refugee. When did you first come to the United States? I was part of the third phase, which we called Guam, uh, Kurdish people. And that happened in end of 1996 when uh, Saddam's government kind of attacked the Erbil city and U.S. forces pulled back from uh, Iraq. And they took us basically with them. We went to Guam in, and stayed in uh, Anderson Air Force Base for several months until everyone was vetted. Um, the immigration process was done. So we ended up coming to Nashville. Obviously the previous phases, um, the one that Dilmon was talking about, um, uh, Halmat Qazi uh, made it made the choice much easier for us. We just straight came to Nashville where we knew that bunch of Kurdish people are already living here. So what did you think of Nashville when you first arrived? Uh, it felt home. Uh, not just because we have so many Kurdish people here living. It's just the weather is very similar to what we have, having four seasons. Also, uh, I can't underestimate that Southern hospitality. I mean, we really felt home. I felt like I am among my people. You know, and I know it takes time adjusting to living in a new city, let alone the, a country. Dilman, what was that adjustment like for you? Um, well, it was, I mean, it was hard at first, if you can imagine being to a new country that, you know, you weren't familiar with the culture, you weren't familiar with the language. Um, for myself, I, I don't remember much because I was so small. I started kindergarten here, but, at, you know, listening to my parents' stories of when we came and kind of the fear that they had, they, you know, they had hope for a better future, but that fear was still, um, was still there because again, they didn't speak the language. They didn't know the culture. Uh, even while we were back in the camps, you know, people um, had these horror stories of how can you take your family to another country? How can you, you know, expose them to a culture that you know nothing about? And, you know, giving all these horror stories um, could really scare you. But again, that hope of a better future and a better life was uh, always overcome by, um, by, by the need to do so. You know, my parents, they worked several jobs at a time. Um, I had to help translate a lot of documents at first until they were able to pick up English. It's much easier for a child to, to learn a new language compared to an adult. Um, so I, I had to really grow up really fast with a lot of responsibilities that a lot of my peers didn't have. Dara, did you have a similar experience? I mean, it was a bit easier for me because I was used to being uh, a foreigner or a refugee in another country. But uh, obviously, U.S. is much different than Iran, and um, people are different. So I can't complain about the experience. I believe that it was a really nice experience to be able to adjust and 
get familiar with this culture. Uh, that's a culture that uh, many Kurds agree with me that it's much easier to uh, be part of it, um, adapt to it. Given your experience, how does how does having being introduced to a culture that's a lot easier to assimilate and get adjusted to, how does that really benefit you? How does that relieve you of stress? You basically, it just prepares you. You know that, uh, uh, again, I'm not saying that this is how I feel now, but at the beginning, you feel like, okay, you are a foreigner. You are someone that feels like you don't belong to this group or this community. But eventually you realize that by building relationship and by uh, building friendship with your community, your neighbors, you will become one of them and you all can work together to thrive the community even better. So that probably helped me to understand it and know what to expect. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Ekelona. We're talking this hour with members of our Kurdish community. If you're a part of this community, what do you want people to know about your community? What has Nashville meant to you? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Now, Dilman, you were pretty young when you came, as you said, but as you started to get settled here, what was it like finding a home in this large Kurdish community? It, I mean, it, it's different because as a child growing up, um, you have, you know, I had all my cousins here and then the schools that I went to were very populated with Kurds. So it wasn't really hard to find myself, but growing up with um, a different identity, a different culture, it was difficult. You know, am I Kurdish enough? Am I American enough for my American friends? There were a lot of things that I wasn't allowed to do because, you know, cultural norms and things like that. Um, so it was hard to explain to my American friends. Um, but I think it also provided a lot of opportunity to, um, you know, as I got older in college and, you know, graduate school and finding op job opportunities, it changed as I got older. But there were definitely some struggles when it comes to identity when I was younger. Um, you know, our, our community is just so large where there's kind of a space for everyone if you really put effort into it. Um, but it, 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 can, it can be hard growing up as a child uh, of immigrants and as an immigrant yourself in such a, such a, what seemed like a scary world as a child. Now, Dara, what about you? What about, what did finding and being a part of this community, what did it mean to you? I mean, we are so glad and happy to be part of this community. And we are so happy that we made it to this uh, great country, this land of opportunity, where we were able to, continue our education and get better jobs and live a better life, uh, if I can say that. But, but at the same time, uh, we, wanted, we want to be able to also kind of support what we have left behind, which is all my siblings, for example, all my people that live in Kurdistan, which are, you know, there's a possibility to be uh, suppressed again. There's a possibility to be killed again. So we want to be able to, while we are here, at the same time, be able to help them and support them. And so far, so good. I mean, we've, uh, we've had many gatherings here with our Kurdish community and be able to maybe uh, get support from them, you know, monetary support or uh, support them in their uh, quest for independence as far as having gatherings outside the core buildings and 
events like that. So, so tell me, what is your relationship to Kurdistan? You mentioned that your family and siblings are overseas. Talk to me a little bit more about that relationship. Again, we are so grateful to be in this country. You know, my son's attending college here. Um, this is uh, something that I don't take it as granted. But at the same time, I still feel like my brothers, my sisters, and when I say my brothers, sisters, I'm not talking about my siblings, I'm talking about all the Kurdish community mm -hmm. or the Kurdish people living in all four parts of Kurdistan. As you can, as you know, Kurdistan and after the Ottoman Empire uh, was defeated, they drew the borders. Um, they kind of divided Kurdistan between Iran, Iraq, Syria, and Turkey. And all those people have been suffering many pains all along. I mean, I can have a list of things that happened from their sim rebellion in 1937, 1,000 were killed, from Anfal campaign in Iraq, where 180,000 people were killed or buried alive, from Halakcha gas chemical attack, even you know, recently at the Yazidis when they were killed and sold as slaves in Syria by ISIS. And things like this keeps happening. And if history is telling us anything, that it will happen again. So it is important for our community to, while enjoying the life and being a true American and supporting this country, at the same time, be able to support folks back home however they can. Now, Dilman, how about you? What's your relationship with Kurdistan? So I've only been back once. Um, again, all my siblings are here. My parents are here. Um, my I have a few aunts. Well, my mom's side, they're all still there. I have one aunt from my dad's side that's still there. I keep in contact with them on a regular basis. And I've only been back there once. Um, I don't have any like specific ties there now, but I do um, like to keep up with everything that's going on there. And I try to help contribute in any way that I can. Um, but yeah, there is still a connection there. And going back there once in 2008 really helped me kind of digest this part of me that I, I didn't have growing up. Um, so it was a really deep and, and um, great connection to be able to experience um, but I'm, you know, I'm, I live here and I work here and, uh, my family is here. So that's really the connection that I have. Do your parents keep involved with Kurdish politics? They do. I think, I think Kurdish politics run, run through Kurds blood, whether you like it or not. Mm. Um, you know, I don't keep up with it as much, but I mean, I'm aware of it. Um, however, I think the majority of those that are in my parents or grandparents' generation, um, it's something that's just kind of stuck with them and uh, they, they keep up with on a regular basis. Now, you mentioned something about going back, I believe it was 2008, and how that gave you something that you felt was missing. Was that key to you really developing your identity? You mentioned before being American. Are you American enough? Are you Kurdish enough? Was that visit key to you kind of solidifying that for yourself? I think so. I think it also helped me um, develop a real sense of my community here and how I can contribute, you know, even though I can't do much there, um, I still have a very large community here that I can help contribute to, even if it's in the smallest way, I can do what I can with what I have at the moment. And so, you know, seeing, seeing people that, you know, speak like me, look like me, um, you know, have similar traditional values as me all around me was really impactful for me. So coming back, I, you know, as I got older, I, I was more invested in my community and, um, 
was trying to find ways that I can I can better help. Now, now, Dara, I want to ask about the younger generation, you know, the ones who were born here, but they have different lives than older Kurds. How do you keep them connected to the culture? That is actually much easier than uh, yeah, you would uh, imagine. What we have here is a bunch of elderly, our parents, obviously I'm one of them, that uh, are very, very involved in what's happening back home. So our younger generation, they see us, they hear us in looking at or watching the news and seeing us that we are so involved, that's automatically just gives them an incentive to be involved. But at the same time, uh, as a member of Tennessee Kurdish Community Council, we have those no rule celebrations uh, yearly that uh, we have tens, tens of thousands of uh, Kurds from all over the country come here and celebrate. And we try to promote uh, Kurdish culture to these people. And uh, I'll take this opportunity to ask any of our listeners that if they have time, that end of the March of each year, you know, usually on Sundays, uh, if they have chance to come in and join our celebration where we have a lot of food and dancing and live music, it's a great opportunity to know us and uh, know who Kurds are. But this is uh, a really great opportunity for our younger people that they see each other. They don't care that if you're what part of Kurdistan you're from, everyone introduces themselves as a Kurd and we all are together. Um, we feel like as one force trying to keep this tradition, keep this culture alive and show people who we are. Okay. And, you know, if anybody wants to listen, we have an episode about Nehru's. It was during our first month on air at This Is Nashville. You can go to thisisnashville.org to find that episode. Now, Dilman, you know, tell me, how do you maintain your culture and identity while becoming a part of the societal fabric here in Nashville? I think I think my culture is always an opportunity for me um, in anything that I do, whether it's work, school, outreach. I think it's a great opening dialogue for me wherever I go. I think, you know, sometimes people can get offended if you ask, where are they from? To me, I, I flourish when someone asks me that. Mm-hmm. It's an opportunity for me to talk about my culture, to um, bring those that don't know anything about it, bring them into this world that, you know, they may not know much about. And so... I really use it as an opportunity for um, so many things. And it's it's helped me, um, you know, make connections and build a network of people in Nashville that, you know, may not have known about my community at first, but now are fully invested in our community. And so I, for me, it's always been an opportunity to to always uh, put my community first and and find opportunities to not just help myself, but all those around me. Now, Dara, tell me, what does Nashville, what has Nashville meant to you? Uh, I believe that I mentioned this before, but Nashville is the second home for me. Um, it has, it's becoming the first home, you know, honestly, because I have been living in the United States and in Nashville more than anywhere else uh, during my entire life. Nashville is uh, a friendly city. That Southern hospitality that I keep uh, mentioning is has really attracted us to here. Um, we feel home. We never felt that we don't belong to this community. Nashville is where it gave us the opportunity to become who we are now, which is 
much better situation that we have had before we come to the U.S. And we are really grateful for that. Dara Aziz has made Nashville his home since 1997 and is the secretary of the Tennessee's Kurdish Community Council. Dara, thank you so much for being on the show thank today. You. It was really great talking with you. Thank you so much. Dilman, Dilman Yassin, stay with us through the break. When we come back, we'll explore the way the Kurdish community has evolved in our town, and we'll learn what their hopes are for continued growth in the future. Are you a part of our local Kurdish community? What do you want to know about to your community? What do you want us to know about your community? What has Nashville meant to you? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil Colonna, and this is Nashville. Come on, beautiful, let's go. Come on, Miss Tina. It's a busy day out at the Salah Hadin Center in South Nashville. It's the last day of summer camp, and the center is teeming with kids. Over the past few days, the kids have been learning about the five pillars of Islam, the prophets, and one of them even kindly schooled our producer on how to cover her hair. When you wear hijab, you're not supposed to show any hair. There's also plenty of games, including one particularly competitive game of musical chairs. Sixteen-year-old Rabia Ayaz volunteers at the camp. She moved to Nashville earlier this year with her family. And I haven't really explored that much of my Kurdish side because I grew up in Virginia with the Turkish community. But moving here, it's teaching me a lot more about my culture. I can accept it. I can enjoy myself while also enjoying my American identity. These youth represent the future of Nashville's Kurdish community. Joining me now to talk about that future are Nauzad Harami and Media Elmas. Thank to you both for being here. Welcome to This is Nashville. So, you know, Nauzad, you came to Nashville in 97, and then the very next year, actually, you helped find found the Salahadeen Center in South Nashville, which has been, we just heard a little bit of. When you opened the center back in the late 90s, what was the hope? Yeah, one of the things that, uh, first, thank you for having us today, and thanks for NPR. Uh, one of the things that uh, in my life to practice is living with hope. Don't lose the hope. When we come arrive, uh, I left Kurdistan 1996, like that, Mr. Dara Aziz, he said. Uh, we lived in Guam for four months, like that, and uh, arrived in Nashville on March 1397. And uh, after that, when we see, we have a large community, and they're grateful for those, those first families who were arrivals and 17s that they built the first uh, cells of the Kurdish community. When we come here and uh, we see more than 10,000 10, Kurdish we have in Nashville and before they, there was some uh, working to how they can build the Kurdish community, they have some organizations, but uh, we gathering all together to how we can build the community. What we need to do, we need to uh, working for this community to living here 
protect our identity, protect the Kurdish culture, Kurdish language, and the same time living as a Kurdish American, you know. From that time, you know, uh, we start to build the Salahuddin Center of Nashville on uh, March 98. So with the support of uh, Kurdish community and also Muslim community in Nashville, because one of the uh, work of Salahuddin Center is a faith-based, religious faith, uh, Islamic faith-based organization and community center. Mm -hmm. Now, what did, what did it really mean to you, especially during those early years? Yeah, those areas when I come exactly, we, uh, as uh, Mr. Dara Aziz, he said, you know, after I was working with the nonprofit and the NGOs uh, at the Kurdistan, we had about 4,000 destroyed villages in Kurdistan. We have about two, more than 300,000 refugees in Iran and in Turkey. And at that time, you know, after the first Gulf War, uh, United Nations involved and many organizations, former organizations, they involved to reconstruction Kurdistan to help resettle the refugees. And the, one of the main of organization is the USAID. They support by USAID. So I working with those organizations when the Iraqi regime in 1996 they mm. reattacked RB and they declared a ministry for all. Uh, Kurdish, except who they work with the foreigner organizations, so that their penalty was executed. At that time, at the time of uh, President, uh, former President Clinton, he made a decision that to evacuate all of us to to United States, mm -hmm. and we left uh, Kurdistan on uh, uh, December '96. I stay. We arrived in Guam in Anderson uh, uh, Base, and then we stayed there about four months to train and uh, finished all the immigration work and the train how the life on in America will be. So when we arrived here, our eyes was open and all uh, with the support of the Kurdish community too and the Nashvillian community. So uh, we lived with a hope. We start, we, we, we warp our sleeves, we start to how to build the community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, media, I understand that you were born in San Diego, but you moved here as a toddler in 1995, right? Yes. So Nashville's long been a home for you. You've seen your community grow a lot over time. Tell me, how has it changed over the years? I definitely have seen much change, um, especially with the different types of Kurds that are coming in. Um, I know there's, there's um, you know, Kurdistan has a, it's part of four regions. So I definitely see as the population of Kurds increasing and uh, like my other friends have said you know the word of mouth com uh, goes around and people are knowing that this is little Kurdistan this is they have um, certain resources and stuff that you know they see slowly but surely you know these Kurdish people in Nashville are becoming more successful and people people you know are here to have that opportunity to become successful so I think there's definitely more resources um, available now um, so it's bringing more Kurdish people around um, around the United States to Nashville. Speaking of resources, you are a data, an data analyst at Vanderbilt, and you and your husband started a data analytics boot camp. Tell me about that. Yeah, so um, I was you know, one of the first in my f entire family to graduate uh, college. So I got my bachelor's in biochemistry and uh, 
then I pursued my master's in biotechnology at Middle Tennessee State University. And that's when I actually like, fell in love with data analytics. So um, currently working at Vanderbilt, um, I'm very open about my uh, career path. So I'm always you know, trying to help the community know about these different fields. So my husband and I... Um, with a friend, we partnered with Renos Tech uh, School. So Renos in Kurdish means a know your path. Mm. So when you put it together, know your path in tech. So our intentions for this bootcamp was to um, target the Kurdish community. Um, however, uh, out of our population, our uh, demographic population of the bootcamp, there's only 25% of um, the Kurdish um Kurdish uh, students. So the intentions for this boot camp is to help um, train the students into like what what it is what it's like to be a data analyst, and we cut we help them uh, learn the tools they need. Um, you know, traditionally, these schools, um, college degrees, and stuff they have all these extracurriculums, all these things, but we're, you know, a bootcamp is like way more fast paced and we mm-hmm. kind of give them exactly what you need, the hands-on training, the tools they can represent in their um, or resumes. So it's like the whole process is like after getting accepted and um, we, we, we want to know what your purpose is and if this is the right fit for you. So after screening that, we kind of give you a breakdown of like um, how we, how a data analytics environment, uh, excuse me, data analytics bootcamp environments like. So uh, with that, you know, working on these specific tools, projects, and then we also help them um, with the whole professional development aspect, help them with um, resumes and connecting them to other analytics uh, people in this uh, community mm-hmm. and help with the whole, you know, job application to help s- launch their career path in analytics. Okay, so media, can you tell me, give me any, can you share any success stories from former attendees of the boot camp? Absolutely. It's it's actually the reason why I love, love, love doing this. Again, we, um, we work full-time jobs in our current roles, but we're doing this um, on this side and, you know, dedicating so much time to it because of the specific reason is to help change lives um, for these students and our community. So um, there's there's our uh, type of students. So either they pursued a degree in college but was not successful getting a job in the field. Hmm. That happens, you know, we're really we're really familiar with that. Mm-hmm. Um, some that attended college but, you know, had to stop due to various reasons or never had the opportunity to go to college. So this core, this program helps them, um, you know, regardless of your background, degrees, or education, it, we ha- we can prove we have proved that um, we have the right training for them to land land a job in this uh, wonderful market and um, technology. Um, so some success stories, um, yeah. uh, you know, it's a startup. So you know, I I just kind of uh, word of mouth and know my network and from previous students at, at MTSU that you know I've noticed that hey you have a bachelor's degree in biology what are you doing there's four of my friends that you know graduated they were bartenders mm-hmm. so after completing the first first course um, all four of them have a have a wonderful prestigious job in this field. Some are even senior analysts based on the training and stuff that we provided and their wow. dedication to go through. So it's, you know, one of one of the, my main students, like it, it just warms my heart so much. She She's a mother of two kids. Um, she said, I've never seen my kids so many, you know, so many times because I've been in school all all these years and then, Bart, you know, the restaurant industry, uh, business life, it's, um, the hours are not, not very family friendly. So no, not that, at all. Yeah, so it's just, it warms my heart you know, I got that message like, hey, thank you so much for changing my life. I see my kids 
more than ever now. And um, that's the one reason why we're doing this. You know, is the field is awesome. We all know, like, you know, the future is tech. Um, the flexibility of these roles are amazing. So we just want to spread that to the community, not just to the Kurdish, but all around. Like I said, um, only 25 percent of our population is um, our students is Kurdish. Um, mm-hmm. The rest are non uh, non Kurdish and um, you know, we're we're willing to share and hopefully um, if you ever wanted to get into tech and just think it's overwhelming. Numbers are scary, but we're, we're here to make sure, you know, to make you realize they're not scary. You bring the entire community together. I love that. Now, Dilman Yassin is still with us. Dilman, you work for the mayor's office and you're a data analyst like media. What do you think efforts like that do to empower the community? I think it's it's really great because it shows that um, it shows the youth, especially that there are people like me doing things that are not very maybe maybe traditional. Um, you know, uh, coming from a family of immigrants, um, you know, the American dream is be a doctor, be a lawyer, be you know, uh, engineer, and so seeing these other roles in tech um, that are a lot more flexible and provide a lot more opportunity, I think will help elevate our youth. Um, to to much better opportunities in the future, some that maybe I didn't have or maybe those that are older than me didn't have. So I, I think it's great what they're doing, and I um, applaud them for all the amazing work that they've done so far. Now, you volunteer with a group, Young Kurdish Professionals. Tell me about that. Yeah, um, the Kurdish Professionals is a nonprofit that was established about five years ago. We saw that there was a need for um, mentorship in our community. A lot of us are first generation college graduates. And, you know, myself, I um, needed help filling out FAFSA. I had to find an internship myself. I, you know, got into college myself. I didn't have the traditional route of having my parents help me or their network helping me. I had to do everything on my own. And so a lot of us realized that that's very similar for so many in our community. So having an organization that kind of helps bridge that gap and provide opportunities to our youth, provides mentorship, um, and just kind of builds, helps them build a network that they can use when they pursue college or if they pursue entrepreneurship or if they pursue whatever else um, can be really beneficial. And so that I've been doing that for about five years and um, I really enjoy it. And um, being able to talk to the youth and kind of see what uh, the, the struggles and the successes that they are going through um, has been very fulfilling. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Ekelona. We're talking this hour with members of our Kurdish community, which is home to the largest population of Kurds in America. So as we've been mentioning, the Kurdish community has continued to grow over the years, and it keeps growing and evolving. I'm curious, what are your hopes for the future of your community? Dilman? Um, I hope that our community can one day establish a community center that focuses on culture that focuses on kind of having a space for everyone to come and, um, you know, Kurds and non-Kurds to come and learn about our culture, our traditions, um, and kind of the history of uh, our community in Nashville. I think that's something that a lot of people that I've talked to really want. Um, It's just about finding the network to help build that and to connect the dots um, to get that established. But I'm hopeful that that can happen in, in the future. Media, I see you nodding your head. What are your hopes for the future? Uh, same exact thing as Delmon uh, mentioned. It's it, as you know, we've been here for so many years, and it's kind of 
you know, it's something we absolutely need. That's the fear of our parents is losing our culture and traditions. Um, so there's many times like, hey, speak Kurdish inside the house because if, mm. you know, in the language itself, like it's it's kind of sad that, you know, some of these younger folks, um, they don't they don't have that. And like they don't either know how to speak or it's very broken. So I definitely agree with Dilma. We need a community center for the youth to help with that, to have like events, uh, events and stuff to um stay intact with their culture and yes we have these wonderful culture festivals and stuff but something that's more driven into like the actual um more more information and more more of the traditional cultures for students to learn versus um just like a little a fun gathering gatherings aren't great but we need something that's more educational to the tradition and like the said not just for the uh, youth of the kurdish community but also like Around you know, Nashville is the home. It's the second. Um, it's the largest place, population of a Nash, excuse me Kurdish people here. So it's nice. I think it's needed to have a center for non-Kurdish people to learn more about us. Mm-hmm. Now, now Zad, what about you? What are your desires for the youth in particular? Exactly. With, uh, for the youth, uh, my desires. <clears throat> we we need to empower them, empower them, and they need to focus on the educations. At the same time, the, as we said in the beginning of my speech, you know, uh, keeping the cultures and language, you know, for this purpose, we build the bridges between the metro, uh, metro uh, national metro government, between the Tennessee government, metro public schools. We had many, many seminars with them. Every year, the metro public school, they come to Salahadin Center. We meet with the parents, both parents, teachers, and the student, we empower them to focus on the education, to continue the education after the graduation of high schools. And that's improved so much now. And also building relation with the uh, uh, universities just to focus the education. It's not just university in here. Even I reached out to University of Indiana University in Bloomington. They have a Kurdish class there. so. Uh, we work on that, that now the Kurdish class program they bring to Nashville and also they study Kurdish language. The, the second, uh, the, the class will start for, the, for this semester on, Mar- on uh, uh, September 13. So they, the free, free Kurdish classes. So for this, uh, this, uh, this, this kind of activities, we, we encourage, we encourage and empower the, our youth. Our youth is our futures, and we need to build them a model citizen in, in this country. And we need to prepare them to run for the, for the office, run for the mayor, for the council, for the state representative, for the Congress, for the Senate. So that's we, our hope, and we work on that. And I, I am, I'm sure we will achieve that. Mm-hmm. with the help of all Kurdish communities together and Nashvillian community too. Now, Media, you were mentioning that outside of festivals, there needed to be more education opportunities. And, you know, it was just mentioned that, hey, schools are offering Kurdish classes. Is that the type of thing you're talking about to really become a fabric of Nashville? Um, that definitely helps. But uh, my for my idea, like the you know, best environment for the youth. Because um, Nazareth is right, 100%. The youth is our future. Um, but I think having some kind of platform, some kind of educational system, 
early on. You know, I, I'm a mother of a six-month-old baby. and Congratulations. Thank you so much. And uh, we're playing Kurdish cartoons on YouTube for him just because, you know, the interaction. Um, in just for myself, I'm an example for this, too. It's like I was born and raised here, but my first language was Kurdish because my parents, they didn't speak. They had the barrier of not knowing the English language. So I grew up learning English, going to schools, you know, watching these Kurdish, I mean, excuse me, American um, cartoons and stuff. So it's, you know, it's proven, even I'm sure other Kurdish families can agree, like that your child will learn English no matter what, you know, being raised here in America. But the Kurdish language is all up to the parents and the people around them. And unfortunately, like for me, it's only my, my I don't have many cousins and stuff here at all. Everybody's in Kurdistan, Germany, they're all over the world. But so if I have to rely on who speaks Kurdish to my child, um, you mm. know, things, you know, I would hope it would be good. But I, you know, for seeing that and speaking English mainly, I don't see that happening. So I'm starting early on. He's six months and watching his Kurdish channels. Um, he loves it. And every time I put on it, English, he just looks at it like he makes his facial expression like, what is this? You know, <laughs> it's the cutest thing. So just just thinking about, you know, planning for the future, for his future. You know, I would love some kind of educational um, group or some program for it, you know, to have him there to learn about not just not just the language, but like the mannerism, the hospitality, the the foods and just, you know, um, more of those traditional things that, you know, I've noticed that kids do lose um, mm. compared to the Kurdish tradition. Mm-hmm. Now, Dilman, you have young children. Does what media was saying resonate f- for you? And, you know, what do you want Nashville to be for your children as they grow? Absolutely. I have three children and culture is such a huge, important aspect of our daily life. Um, You know, it's something that we talk about all the time, something that we embrace, something that I want my children to be proud of. Um, Again, having a space where, you know, you can go and learn about your culture or have activities or have seminars or have um, just a safe space to kind of fulfill this identity, this part of your identity, um, and also a place where non-Kurds can come and learn about our history and learn about our culture and um, find connections. You know, I, I, I've, I've been very vocal in so many different things within Nashville as it relates to the Kurdish community, but I'm not the only one. Like, there's so many other people in our community that can contribute um, to, to the greater good and have a voice and are doing amazing things but oftentimes they're kind of overlooked because they just don't have the opportunity or maybe they just don't have the connection um, or maybe they don't, they don't feel safe or I I mean, I'm not sure, but Mm -hmm. there are so many Kurds that could be part of this bigger conversation. Um, And I think having a space um, that, you know, everyone can actually come to and visit would really help contribute to all of that. And I, I want my children to be able to do that as well. not just because I've done it, if they want to do it, I want them to have a space that they can actually go to and, and um, be able to fulfill those cultural needs for themselves. That is Dilman Yassin. She was joined by Nauzad Harami and Media Elmas. Thanks to you all for being here and for this conversation. We want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour. Tomorrow, we're going to turn the limelight on Music City songwriters. We'll talk about the craft and the industry of it. Tune in. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, 
and Alexis Marshall. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos-Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Tony Gonzalez and our former intern, Doreen Chernecki. Shout out. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Ekelona. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other.